0: we've been inside since March 16th. The way that we handle emergency situations will be forever changed, which is crazy. We're definitely living through a big turning point in American history. It'll never be the same, especially shopping in retail.
1: You used a phrase, the earth was at peace.
0: The skies are clear. The air quality in Los Angeles has improved a lot obviously it's not a great situation for everything else
1: It's Monday, May 4, 2020. Los Angeles is still operating under a stay-at-home order, although 11 states have begun the phase one reopening process. U.S. cases of COVID now total 1.2 million, and deaths in the U.S. have crossed the 69,000 mark. To put that number in perspective, World War I, where U.S. involvement was two years, 116 that's 116,000, died. That's about 300 per day. Vietnam, 14 years, 58,000 died, 11 persons per day. The American Revolutionary War, eight years, 25,000 total deaths, 11 per day. COVID 2020, even with all the advances in medicine, technology, That's 1,000 deaths per day. We talk about casualties of war. So think about all the people attached to those 1,000 deaths per day. Husbands, wives, daughters, sons, neighbors, friends, family members. Over the weekend, Warren Buffett, the investor known for his folksy approach, live-streamed his Investor Day without the usual 20,000 guests in attendance. The event is akin to a pilgrimage to Omaha, to hear the sage words of the 86-year-old preaching to his people. Typically, he would have been joined by his partner of 60 years, Charles Munger, who's also the lead partner of law firm Munger Tolls. Mr. Munger, at 96 years of age, apparently has embraced the Zoom meeting technology and chose to remain grounded rather than make the trek to Nebraska for the services. While Mr. Buffett is not my guru, he is without doubt legendary. He deserves praise for his longevity, his intellect, and his deal-making prowess. You have to be a special sort, multi-billionaire status aside, And remember, that's billions with nine zeros to become besties with Bill Gates. Not only have they committed to distributing the bulk of their massive wealth via the Giving Pledge, an organization they co-founded in 2010, but they've also bonded through shared appreciation of bridge, the card game of strategy. Why do I mention Bill Gates, Warren Buffett? How do they fit into 2020? Well, there's actually a bunch of overlap. Warren Buffett gave a real history lesson, and Bill Gates, besides Microsoft fame, has gone on to become an expert in pandemics, an evangelist for climate change and global causes of significance to the population as a whole and helping folks quite generally. Warren Buffett is known for saying in investment circles, it roughly translated to and repeated this way, buy when others are fearful and sell when others are greedy. In 2008, he had a major impact on the market, both financially and emotionally. He took preferred stakes in Goldman Sachs, General Electric, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Probably a few others, I've forgotten. And for those with history and an institutional memory, Solomon Brothers in 1987, and then stepped in to run the firm post the Treasury scandal in 1990. Behind the scenes, he approached these companies that were in dire need, either truly in dire need, or there was a perception that they were in need which can be just as bad in the market. Confidence is key. He offered up a deal that would provide capital by means of what we call a preferred stock stake. So that sits a little bit above equity and below debt in the capital structure and has certain rights. It's a hybrid between a debt and equity product. But in essence, you can think of it as equity with a big dividend, 10% dividend in his case. Along with that, he demanded warrants or options, we'll call them. Uh, on the company that essentially would become very profitable if the bet went the right way the company survived and the stock price went up. So when he announced these deals during the crisis of 08 uh, it it gave major capital to Goldman Sachs and the other firms that he that he bought pieces in and it boosted confidence in the market and up up and away not quite that dramatic but you get the you get the message. Now roll forward to 2020 Berkshire Hathaway, his firm, had significant stakes in four major U.S. airlines. The whisper, when things started to fall apart a month or so back, was that Berkshire and Buffett would step in and offer up these same sort of deals. Lots of cash to the airlines. He'd get an equity stake and preferential stock. But he he would not only offer cash, but he would... Uh, essentially put a stamp of approval, right? Stamp of approval on these firms so others could follow. All right. So now we're six weeks forward. We're at his Omaha meeting. It's announced that he did just the opposite. In fact, he exited. He sold all of his airline stocks. Secondly, he was a net seller of stocks over the last month or so. So he violated or did not adhere to or followed a different investment path this time he's conserving capital he didn't find bargains he's not stepping in now why he went through a very artful and interesting presentation or explanation at the beginning of his presentation the history of the united states and the value of the economy over time his history lesson started in 1789 when he said the u.s Uh, The value of U.S. assets was worth approximately $1 billion, right? Nine zeros now, right? Nine zeros. Acreage, land, was selling for three cents per acre. Think about that, three cents per acre. 2020, the value of the U.S. economy, $100 trillion. That's 100 with 12 zeros. He laid out another metric. In talking about financial history, he described the stock market crash and subsequent depression. The crash began in 1929. There's a book, The Great Crash, by John Kenneth Galbraith, which is the very slim Bible, or call it a chapter in the Bible of financial history. The lesson to take away are there are a few here. The metrics are, Between 1929 at the top and the bottom, a few years later, the stock market was down 90%, 9-0. During that period, we had uh, what what we're now describing, and you hear talk of a V and a W and an L recovery. We had a W. market fell, rose, fell again before finally going up. Well, 1929 fell 48%, plus or minus, gained about half of that back, and then within a year or so, was down another big chunk for 90% top to bottom. Here's what gets interesting. It took over 20 years, 24 years, to get back to the old highs. The 1950s, coming out of World War II... The New Deal, strength of the automakers, America, the cleavers, all of that noise, over 20 years. So back to Buffett yesterday. He goes out of his way to say things like, I'm bullish on America, there's been no better bet in economic history than America. There's no place better than to have been born, even born poor, than in America. He starts his conversation that way, he ends his lecture that way, and that's very consistent. Always very consistent. So, what was different this time? Out loud, he said that he just didn't know. He's not finding bargains, and these are problems that resolve themselves over months, years, perhaps decades. How is it that the Oracle of Omaha, who bought his first stock at 11 years old, 75 years ago, who spent eight decades analyzing stocks and economics and trends, how is it that he just doesn't know? I think the answer is he's talking about the field of behavioral economics. In other words, what do people do and why do they do it? Why do you buy, sell, save, spend? These sorts of questions. The idea that rational thought and choice, as modeled by classical economics, doesn't explain decisions that humans make. There are psychological, cognitive, and you know, cultural and social factors that lead humans to make decisions that aren't predictive by traditional economic models this is behavioral economics. And in 2002, a psychologist by the name of Daniel Kahneman was awarded a Nobel Prize in economics for his work in this field. Now here's what I get a kick from. Michael Lewis wrote a book called The Undoing Project about the history of Daniel Kahneman and his days back in the Israeli army and his partner. Michael Lewis, you may know, and if you don't know, you really do know, that he wrote The Blind Side, the hit movie, The Big Short, Moneyball, and Liar's Poker, which is a book that every young aspiring salesman and trader headed off to Wall Street in the mid-1980s read cover to cover. It's the story of michael lewis and his adventures as a trainee on the solomon brothers trading desk in i believe 1986 well remember who came in with the big investment into solomon brothers in 1987 warren buffett who saved them in 1990 well now 35 40 years later here's michael lewis writing about behavioral economics And Warren Buffett is back around now in 2020 describing a phenomena whereby he cannot use classical structures to figure out what to do in the market. So how does that relate to today's guest, a high school student, wise beyond her years, who wrote an article that was picked up by the LA Times for Earth Day. LA during the times of the pandemic as it relates to Earth Day. Here's how this all fits together. Clean air in California. We've seen pictures, all of us. No traffic, clean skies, clean air. Global warming. A problem that received a name in the last 20 years, say. Yet, in the 1970s in Los Angeles, we had smog alerts and acid rain and had barely just started to learn about Recycling and all these sorts of things. California emissions control, catalytic converters, electric cars, renewable energy. These are all market-based. If it becomes efficient to build an electric car or Prius, then those will supplant gasoline-powered engines. Yet, what happened? We're going to do a whole series about this, but in around 2006, there was a bill that the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, signed California AB-32, which was to move California forward, similar to the Paris and the Climate Accords, whereby we would reduce emissions. Now, the story, the long story short, is you had some powerful Congress people and senators, uh, particularly Senator Imhoff, who we'll get to later, who was not happy about a Supreme Court decision that allowed uh, the regulation of tailpipe emissions? Basically, gave the way this uh, gave the states a way to uh, move towards clean air. And the thesis was we'd have a market-based solution, supply and demand, such that it became cheaper and cheaper to produce clean energy. Well, they stepped all over the bill, fought it. President Obama's elected. Uh, markets begin to develop forward, backwards, forward, backwards. New administration, President Trump, EPA, and and some of these laws are weakened, changed, stepped on all over again, and here we are. Looks like we're going backwards. Then the pandemic strikes. Out of nowhere, an unintended consequence, which is in fact positive, believe it or not, is that we get to see with our own eyes that pollution can... Be controlled. Cars are off the road, Skies clear, right? all the positive benefits. I don't know what comes from this, but it's undeniable. It started in China and moved around the world where you could see the photos from space. Pollution cleared. So market-based solutions, an unintended consequence of the pandemic. Warren Buffett and other market participants suggesting that they just don't know what to do, that this could be years or decades before we have resolution. That's how I get to the invitation that I extended to Alex Cohen after I read her work in the LA Times. So here's the interview. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank Uh, you for having me.
1: Of course. What I wanted to talk about is an article that you wrote that I first read in the LA Times. It was published around Earth Day So maybe if you could just tell me a bit about why you wrote it and, you know, what you were thinking.
0: Um, I take AP Environmental and my teacher gave us an option of a couple of things we could do for Earth Day. And most of them were like planting a tree or taking a walk. But one of them was trying to letter to the editor. So I I thought I might as well just do that. And I wrote it and I didn't really think much of it. And I submitted it to a few newspapers and the LA Times decided to publish it. So that was really cool because I am very passionate about environmental politics and um, kind of youth civic engagement with climate change and those kind of topics and getting involved. So um, I was really proud of how I addressed.
1: I'm I'm proud of you as well. Tell Thank me you. what what made you think to submit it to newspaper.
0: My teacher emailed me and told me that I should submit it. So, kind of that I did. I really did not think much of it. I just kind of thought of it as another assignment. Um, but obviously, I, I worked really hard on it and I was proud of it. I just didn't think that the LA Times would eventually publish it. But my teacher emailed me and told me that I should.
1: You're very interested in environmental politics. I want to talk more about that and i noticed in the article that you wrote that every school you've attended since kindergarten celebrated or talked about earth day what's what's that been like
0: um i think that growing up in la where we are so like aware of what's going on um And I've always gone to amazing schools that have been able to incorporate that. So I just remember in kindergarten planting stuff to celebrate Earth Day. And I've always kind of been aware of it. And I've noticed that here in L.A. more than in other places, even in California and throughout the country, their kids are not as aware of that. So I think that being able to celebrate Earth Day has always made me so aware like, Um, As a kid, I thought everyone recycled. I thought it was just a thing that everyone did. But as I've taken more classes and I've grown up, I've learned that that's not necessarily true. And I am so lucky to live in a city where we've made it a priority. Granted, it's also a city that's incredibly polluted and has its own environmental issues. But the awareness part is still there.
1: What do you think of when you hear the word biodegradable?
0: I think I think of like the... The new like straws and paper plates and stuff that um, we've kind of been transitioning to, something that will biodegrade.
1: Mm-hmm. When do you think you first became aware of that term? I knew what it meant.
0: I'm not sure,
1: but a while, right?
0: yeah, I think i I can't think of a time when I learned it, and it was a new thing. yeah
1: and when I was in eighth grade, I'll never forget. I was in PE class and they had us sitting in rows outside at John Burroughs Junior High. And PE teacher was eating an apple as he took roll. And he got down to the core and he threw it on the ground. And we all said he should pick it up. His people had just barely started recycling at that point, we had smog alerts if you know what that is, and other things. But we didn't really have we didn't have any of the blue trash cans or green trash cans or anything like that. And our assignment for that evening was. Go home and learn what, or teach yourself what biodegradable means. We didn't know, so it's interesting that you know your generation is very upfront. Yeah. What What do you think about climate change? You know, well, let's just start there. You know, how, how do you think it will be solved, and how do you look at it?
0: Um, I think it's definitely an issue we need to tackle as soon as possible, and I think that there are a lot of actions that the government is not taking that could make it kind of not as we, we won't be in dangers in such a short amount of time
1: what actions they um, i think
0: that there i i an example is the green new deal i don't agree with all aspects of it but i do think a, a large-scale change like that to all of our lifestyles nationwide would be really important and i think that in california and especially in la and san francisco we've taken we've taken little measures that will definitely like improve the climate here and, and the environment and will reduce the impacts of climate change and there's a lot of talk about making cars go all electric by i think 2030 so that's definitely something that will vastly improve the environment right now
1: when will you be able to register to vote
0: I can register now at 16, which is really cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. As soon as you turn 16, you're able to register to vote.
1: And will this be the top issue that you look to when you look at candidates? Or, or what are what's the priority of the top two or three issues? For me? Yes.
0: I think that reproductive rights are definitely one of them. Definitely the environment is in the top three. I don't know. And education.
1: And education meaning?
0: Public education and funding for education. and Equality in education.
1: Do you think that there are vast differences between your generation and mine with regard to our views on climate change and how we might solve it?
0: I think that there are definitely very different views because the older generations tend to not... Is aware of the climate change issues, and they also they also aren't aren't as passionate. But I think that also has to do with education. Like I've been obviously exposed to environmental issues in Earth Day for my entire school career. But but I think that those weren't issues that were tackled as much with prior generations, and they also weren't as relevant at the time. So there's definitely a little bit of a disconnect between generations on environmental issues.
1: I realize you can't speak for your entire generation, but do you sense that there is anger with older generations or disappointment
0: in regards to my generation or climate change?
1: So the younger generation, how you all view older generations with regard to how we've handled environmental stewardess and You know, are we, have we dropped the ball? You know, are you angry with us? You know, that that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I think that there's definitely some little conflict there because if you look on the internet, there are so many young activists that are blaming, outwardly blaming older generations for the destruction to the climate. And there's a lot of anger there, not just in regards to environmental issues, but a lot of political issues that teenagers are, angry at for the situation that older generations have put us in
1: who do you look up to or think has done a good job or is doing a good job both in your generation and mine uh, with regard to the environment i think my al
0: gore is he's one of my favorite politicians and he really values the environment i read one of his books in inconvenient truth and i think he really addresses the issues and a lot of politicians don't because they're funded by companies that are making money off exploiting our resources. So they're not able to speak out. But I think Al Gore has been somebody who's really good about speaking, good at speaking out about the environment.
1: Have you ever heard of carbon credits or the, the concept of taxing pollution? Yeah. What do you think about that idea?
0: I think, well, in my AP environmental science class, we've learned a lot about like the actual value of um, in regards to you know the value on the price tag so when you're when you're making a cheap product um, but you're using not so good means to get to that cheap product it's actually going to cost more for the environment in the long run so i think it's really important to make it so that we're accounting all costs um, when producing products especially if they're exploiting aspects of our world
1: right so you put a price on carbon and include it in the overall price yeah of the good Interesting. In your article, you used a phrase, the earth was at peace. Yeah. Tell me about that. What's it been like around Los Angeles? Uh, Uh, And we'll talk about COVID in a moment. But what's it been like the last few weeks, last month or so? uh, the earth was at peace. It
0: seems that there's, well, obviously there's less people on the road. So I'm very happy with less traffic. But the skies are clearer. We can see, we could visibly see there are clear skies and it just, the air seems more breathable. Maybe that's in my head, but you could, if you look at the statistics and pictures, you could see that the air quality in Los Angeles has improved a lot. Obviously it's not a great situation for the for everything else and all the other factors, but the air is improving. And also a lot of people are going outside and enjoying nature more because they're stuck in their houses and there's really nothing else to do. So hopefully that'll like give some incentive to create
1: change. So let's talk about the pandemic and, and COVID. Describe to me what it's been like for you and are you scared? Are you hopeful? And just what's the day to day been like since it started? And for how long have you been home?
0: I think that I'm so lucky that I have a great household to live in and I have Parents and a brother who are able to keep me entertained, but it's really been interesting to shift to online school and to have to communicate with my teachers only on the internet. And some of them aren't even hosting classes, and they're meeting up with us once a week. So it's a really different structure of education, and it makes college admissions so uncertain. We don't know about we don't. I'm a junior right now, but I don't know if we'll go back for the beginning of my senior year next year and. I haven't been able to see my friends often. I think we've been inside since March 16th. But my family's definitely taking the time to have dinner together and to play cards together and watch TV together. So it it hasn't been terrible for me, but obviously the situation is so scary. And as much as I'm worried about, you know, my summer programs have been canceled and I'm not in in a normal, traditional school, it's also scary to see what's going to happen to the world and our country, I think that it'll never be the same, especially, you know, shopping in retail and the way that we handle emergency situations will be forever changed, which is crazy. So we're definitely living through a big turning point in American history.
1: When this clears up, whatever that means, and life gets back to whatever the new normal is... Do you think you'll still go to movie theaters and other crowded spaces like you had before?
0: I think that eventually I will. I don't think it'll be a like once we're out, I'll run to the movie theater, but I think that eventually we'll be able to get back to somewhat
1: normal. You mentioned online schools or online classes. How is that compared to being face to face?
0: I I re- I really love education and I love all of my teachers. So I don't like it that much, but um, there are definitely some pros. Like I get to sleep in more Um, (laughs) and my school has created wellness Wednesdays. So on Wednesdays, um, we don't have any classes or anything due. Um, So we're able to take care of our mental health and um, kind of relax for a day. Um, So that's been nice, but it's really, at first it was a little bit difficult to, Meet the deadlines when we didn't have to, you know, wake up and drive to school every day. So it's harder to keep on schedule. But we've my teachers have definitely been able to teach. Some of them are conducting normal classes just online. Some of them are giving us work to do, and then they'll check in with us. So it's definitely been different, but I've been able to adapt.
1: What technology do you use to connect?
0: my t- well at my school we all have computers um, that the school's given us so we use those and then for meetings with our teachers we use Google Meet
1: is that effective does it have I, problems or is it does it does the technology work
0: i think that it's i think that it's pretty effective as effective as it can be and then we have all of our assignments and all of our grades and everything on a website that we'd used when we were in school too so a lot of the stuff in school was also online but now it's just everything is online and we're not in class, obviously.
1: When you're not in school and you're communicating with friends, which platforms do you use? Do you use Instagram or Zoom or what? Uh, how, do you, how do you connect?
0: But we use texting a lot. I go on Zooms with my friends every once in a while. I've done a couple with my camp friends that I don't see that often. So it was it's nice to see them. But most of the time we'll text or we'll FaceTime. And I've, I've had a couple of friends come over and we'll we'll social distance and sit outside. So communicating with friends hasn't been as difficult as I originally thought it would be.
1: Have you ever heard of a group and a place called Tree People? Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: I think that it's really cool that um, we're able to plant trees. And uh, I do use the government. And a couple of months ago, my delegation did a fundraiser with Tree
1: People. Oh, very good. Very good. As we come to the close of our conversation, are there... Any items or anything you'd like to say?
0: I just think it's really important that we pay attention to the climate and we look at uh, how right now, when we're not doing as much and we're not polluting there as much, look at the, look at the effects that we've had um, and kind of look at that when we're back to normal life and we're able to focus on the environment again.
1: What's next for you as you look forward to college? Do you know what you're going to study yet? Are you thinking about going into politics or social activism?
0: I want to uh, go to a school that has a philosophy, politics, and economics major and study kind of the three and do a lot of research on political ideology. But hopefully minor in either journalism or legal studies, because I, I do love journalism and definitely write for a university newspaper. Right,
1: thank you, Alex, for taking the time to speak with me.